0: Voice of Fintech. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech America series. My name is Rudy Falad and I'm the founder of Voice of Fintech podcast. In this series, you will hear inspirational stories of entrepreneurs, investors and incumbents and ecosystem hub leaders from the United States or North America and LATAM. This episode is hosted by David Jakubovic from New York.
1: Welcome back, listeners, to Voice of Fintech, where we talk all Web 2 and Web 3 financial technologies. Today, we have a great speaker uh, and a founder and serial entrepreneur who will be talking with us about his entrepreneurial journey, what he's been building with his startup, and at the end, we'll dabble a little bit into the metaverse and Web 3 and what's coming forward in embedded finance. Today, we're featuring Toby Russell, He is one of the co-founders and co-CEOs of Shift Technologies. We were just chatting offline before the show about how recently we bought a used car in my family. And I wish we maybe went with Shift.com. So, Toby, can't wait to learn more. And thanks so much for joining us on the show today.
2: Hey, thanks for having me on.
1: First, if you could share with the audience, uh, it's been a whirlwind of the last few years. We're now living in our hybrid digital offline online world. Tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey and what led you to found and scale and go public with Shift.com.
2: So I had some bad experiences with buying and selling cars and uh, was looking at the auto industry from a financing point of view when I was over at Capital One Financial leading a digital transformation there. And I got to talking with my co-founder about the idea that we could transform the way people buy and sell cars with technology, given it was an industry that just basically hadn't been touched in any meaningful way with the internet.
1: I think back to the days when I used to live in Florida and there was my first car after college. And... It was such an incredible journey because this was like pre-iPhone days when we, when we bought this first car. And I remember going with my parents and dealer to dealer. And I think it was like a multi-day ordeal. There was just, I can't, if you think back to that, I'm sure some of these problems that you saw and discovered were some of the inspiration for building Shift.
2: That's exactly right, David. The idea of going from place to place and physically shopping for cars is crazy. Mm -hmm. And once you've found that car, you then go in with a very expensive, on average, $15,000, $20,000 purchase, and you have to haggle over it. It's active price discrimination that really hurts in particular. People who are new to car buying, disproportionately, the data shows women and folks who are minorities in the country, just get actively discriminated against and we act like that's okay. And that struck us as like very wrong. Additionally, I had a personal pretty bad experience selling a car. I'd, I'd gone through all that process and bought a car. And then a little while later, a couple years later, I go back to the dealer where I bought it and I thought, hey, I might wanna buy another car. What would you give me if I were to try to trade my car in? And i bought the original car for something like $25,000. And uh, they quoted me 13,000. And I thought, whoa, that's like a crazy drop. Really? And they said, yeah, like, we, we don't know what the deal is with the car and we're not sure what we'll sell it for. So we got to give you this price. And I looked on, They at this point, they had a website and I looked on their website and that same car was listed for 19000 $20,000 in mass. It wasn't like a, you know, particularly unique vehicle. And I said, I know what you're going to sell it for. It's right here. It's 18 to 20,000 is listed. There's like dozens and dozens of them. And they're like, we can't be sure. So I said, well, how about we do this, you guarantee me the 13000 and if it sells for more, we'll split the difference. And the guy said, we don't do that. And I said, okay, we will. And that was the beginning of the shift concept and pricing model is we actually started with a consignment structure where we would take individual's cars, put them online and then sell them. We'd give a guaranteed price and then split the difference or share the upside on that thing. It turned out as we scaled, lots of people were saying, hey, look, I just, I really want my money up front. And I just I would rather have a firm price get cash right away. And eventually we ended up with that structure. But the whole idea was to make it easy for folks to get, finance, and buy their, their cars in addition to,
1: to selling a car to make it really simple on the Internet. It's, uh, even in the, the Internet error, I was sharing that there's still a lot of errors out there. And most recently we just traded in my dad's old uh, 2005 GMC Yukon. This is in 2021, we just traded that in. So you can imagine not only our, our car haggling experience, but the trading experience was, it's the same as you just described it in 2021. So it's uh, man, wish we used shift.com.
2: And that, that is like the same thing, the way that the auto dealers work is they talk about a four box. There's what they'll give you for a trade in, there's what they'll charge you for financing, there's what they'll sell you in terms of warranties, and then they're what they'll charge you for the car. And the whole game is figuring out what you care about what you don't and then they'll say oh we'll we'll give you a better price on you know the car but then we'll give you less for your trade-in so essentially you're getting the same deal but they they try to do this in a way that you feel better about it or where they can move the blanket around or kind of make you pay the same amount in a way that you don't notice and so that's one of the things that at shift we set a pretty firm policy and we do all of our pricing algorithm. Whether you're buying or selling, the price is exactly the same. We're not gonna like be like, oh, we'll trade in your car for more if you you know do this thing and whatnot. So there's none of that like uh, shell game that goes on there. I can't imagine what you're dealing with there, David. That's a real drag. And the fact that is like the standard. Not just among your kind of typical used car dealer, but the standard among new car dealers. You literally negotiate for a new car. They literally do that for you for a brand car off the line. I find crazy in this day and age. Can you imagine going and like negotiating for your, you know, Apple computer? You'd be like, what am I even talking about here? And so it's a crazy world out there, but changing rapidly with the, the internet revolution here.
1: And of course, there's a, a few digital platforms out there. I think during our, our search, we had looked at some of these platforms like CarMax and Carvana and others and And of course, you and your team are leaving with Shift. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience if I were to go on Shift.com and and go about this uh, used car buying experience?
2: So what's unique about Shift.com is that we buy primarily consumer cars. So what we think are the best cars out in nature are the ones that somebody else was actually driving. Typically a car they bought new, the depreciation has happened on that, and we we will buy those cars from them. So if you wanna sell your car to shift, you go online, you enter in information uh, about it. You get a price right there on the website. We were the first to do live, real-time price quoting in nature. We'll come to pick up your car, if you're new to one of our hubs, and we'll talk about where the hubs are, refurbish it, and then put it online to be sold nationwide. If you're buying a car, you can buy a car anywhere in the country by going to shift.com. And if it's if you're near a hub, bring it to your house locally, otherwise we'll ship it to you on a truck. We have what we call, the, people know of the Amazon distribution center or things that people are familiar with. Shift has a similar concept, which is what we call a hub. It's the place where the cars are brought in. They're refurbished, 150 point inspection, uh, certified mechanic review for any repairs or updates needed. Do we need to like change brakes, wipers, fluids, you name it. They're brought up to what we call shift certified standard. And then are shipped anywhere in the country to be purchased in an online fashion.
1: I really like that experience. It sounds like it would have made my dad a little less stressed uh, during this most recent uh, used car buying experience. And thinking about this whole experience, you mentioned so many different items of financing. And... There's this term going around that we're talking about, both in the traditional financing and the new decentralized financing, but about embedded, what does embedded FinTech mean for you and and how is this exciting for customers? Uh, I think the story you just described is a little bit of that embedded FinTech, but if you can unpack it a little further.
2: So the nature of car buying is that it's an expensive purchase. When we first got Shift going, uh, a lot of, like, we had a great user experience, but the number one request from buyers was, hey, this is awesome, but do you have financing with that? <laughs> can, you fi- can you help me finance this thing? Because I'm not walking around with $20,000 in my pocket. And that is a, a very natural and reasonable request. The way that we went with Shift was we actually created a marketplace where the data that a user provides is, is used to get a bunch of different banks to compete, to offer, the financing to the user and the user can select from those. That's what Shift does and that's how it works at Shift is it's a a marketplace of banks where banks compete for a user's loan for the user to select them. But we're also seeing other players do something additional and different. And that is folks like Carvana and CarMax, big folks who have gotten to scale as well, are starting to do that financing themselves, replace the bank and be the ones who do the lending and then take all of those loans, securitize them, and sell them into into the securities markets. The concept of doing that is only really possible once you achieve substantial scale. It would be very hard for an individual store like a traditional retailer that might sell, you know, 50, 70 cars a month to be able to create a large enough portfolio because you really need to be originating in hundred million dollar tranches to be able to sell under the asset backed securities markets but as you're seeing the, the internet retailers and the e-com retailers begin playing more and more what we're watching is the capability of large scale and then being able to securitize so being able to verticalize that financing mm. additionally that is a lot easier in a digital world where you have a known user with known data you can rapidly pull credit and also um, pull together a lot of other information, including the car that people are shopping for, believe it or not, when you're doing risk management and underwriting the actual vehicle that someone's shopping for. So if you're shopping for a red Corvette versus a gray Honda Civic, it turns out the person shopping for the red Corvette on average across the board, you're going to have a riskier uh, loan on that thing just uh, as an anecdote. So there's a bunch of different data pieces that you can assimilate and pull together when you're working in a uh, digital platform e-commerce world at scale and you can do the funding. So we're seeing embedded finance, i.e. verticalized finance, begin Mm. to happen in the auto space.
1: And this verticalized finance, I think we're seeing all around, even in other industries. For example, there's been the rise the last few years of the buy now, pay later, BNPL movement, right? With Klarna, Affirm, Afterpay and others, a lot of growth there. So it's fascinating how the entire embedded finance industry is continuing to shift and to evolve as a macro trend.
2: That's exactly right. And, and, and David, what's, what you're seeing there is a retailer is saying, hey, I've got a user I can plug them into somebody else's financing flow very easily here, right at the point of sale and the checkout. And what I I would start to speculate is what we're seeing in the auto space, the verticalization and the change in a business model, not just selling metal, but increasingly the margins going way, way down and sometimes even being negative on the metal, but beginning to sell the money and making money on the money, uh, being a FinTech company as opposed to just a retailer is what we're beginning to see in auto. And I would hypothesize that that's about to start happening a lot more, outside Klarna and Affirm. Others are the beginnings of that. They're the of that for a lot of e-commerce retailers. But I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing the larger e-commerce re- retailers start to actually do their own underwriting, and start securitizing, doing the securitizing those loans and hold them on their books and or and or selling them off, so as to be able to truly verticalize that again because they have a known user. They've got user data, and they've got a whole bunch of other data that can be used to underwrite in a really unique way. And so I think that the Affirm and the Klarna's are the beginning of it. They're a supplementary. But my hypothesis here, David, is that we're actually going to see uh, a lot more of that and the concept of making money on the money as a core business model for a lot of e-commerce retailers.
1: I would definitely agree that we are seeing that trend more and more. Myself also as an investor in the space, mostly focused on data, MLA. We're seeing a lot of that privatized working capital play with enterprise, but I think it is trickling down to consumer in different aspects. So. Very fascinating for the future of embedded finance. Speaking also to the growth of Shift, you've been at the helm and seen the growth over many years into now the public markets at the pandemic. You went public with a reverse merger back in 2020. Can you share with us more about your experience scaling up shift.com and taking the company public?
2: Yeah, it's a great, incredible journey on that thing. So the first part is the the growth. And we had to really drive and grow a company and heading into the pandemic, there was a lot of nervousness about that. Lots of people were looking at this being like, whoa, are, are we gonna be shutting down? Uh, CarMax, for example, in California, literally shut down stores, which is like unheard of. They, like Retail stopped going into the pandemic. And we had this sort of seminal moment of, are we gonna do something like that, shut down? Or are we going to go the other way and, and really continue and accelerate the growth? And our, our team did some just amazing work to create the concept of a contactless test drive, contactless purchase. And the e-commerce aspect of our business really shined in the pandemic environment where we were able to create a safer way to buy a car. And that is, you can go online, shop, not have to talk to anybody. You can enter in information, get your loan financed, have that car delivered to you near a hub in a place like San Francisco or LA, San Diego, you name it, you're able to have that car brought. You can test drive it and they'll let you drive the car on your own without anybody in it. So a totally contactless shopping and buying experience, which was a quite innovative and a pretty breakaway thing going into a pandemic where not only did people previously feel uh, taken advantage of by used car dealers, but suddenly the traditional used car dealer of having to sit in the back room for four hours, and uh, try to deal with things like financing felt not only uncomfortable but outright unsafe Uh, and so what we saw was just tremendous growth through the the pandemic time as we really leaned into and making sure that people could still access vehicles in a time when a lot of people felt that public transit and rideshare and other options were looking really not very good.
1: Mm. And of course, through all that growth as well, uh, you went through a reverse merger, which went through a process in 2020 into 2021, where you're now a public company, which means there's additional growth additional opportunities moving forward. Can you tell us a little bit about the forward looking plans to expand the shift?
2: It's a, a great question. So we, we did do a, a reverse merger or a SPAC. We were one of the earliest ones to do it. And a lot of people ask me the question, like, why did you do SPAC instead of traditional IPO? And uh, there's a bunch of great re- is a good conversation to be had about that for all, all folks who are interested in taking a company public. Um, I would describe SPACs, IPOs, private fundraises, 144A vehicles, you name it, uh, all as tools in the toolkit, there's not, and even and I'm, for a long time I talked to our team about, we would eventually will take this company public and it is likely to happen sooner rather than later because it's a relatively capital intensive business. We have a lot of operations, uh, a lot of technology to build and cars to finance, et cetera. And so we knew that given the capital intensity, we would need to be able to access public markets which tend to be a good fit for that kind of, that kind of business. And I usually coach and advise people on, hey, choose the methodology and the approach, be it an IPO, a SPAC, you name it, based on does that tool meet the needs of your company. And for us at that time, we were in the middle of a pandemic where we weren't really sure where markets would be at any given time. We wanted to do a big fundraise and capitalize the company substantially to keep driving growth. And there's this kind of relatively new framework or concept tool in the toolkit called a SPAC That was the way to do it. It's a special purpose acquisition company is what that stands for. And we went ahead and used that as one of the early ones to do it. And it worked out quite well for our needs in terms of taking the company public. Now, one of the things that I would describe as the transition from being in the early days, a kind of uh, fast moving, experimenting, learning machine startup to a uh, larger scale public company is there's a pretty significant cultural difference there. And the trick really is to be able to not lose the innovation, and as Jeff Bezos talked about, every day is day one, and that entrepreneur hunger and heart, whilst being in an environment where you have to consistently and reliably not only deliver, but beat expectations. And that was a quite a journey to lead the team through that cultural transition to being in what we would say raise and you know, we raise expectations and earnings, beat the expectations, raise them again, and just continually do that as the expectation of the public public mm-hmm. markets. So that was a an interesting cultural journey and change.
1: That's fantastic. And it's great to see the continued growth as you're driving uh, for more market share and more opportunity to bring shift to the whole economy for the used car buying experience. Uh, thinking through where you've been and where you're going. We, of course, are seeing that the embedded finance market and the whole fintech market is continuing to shift and evolve. And some of that's gone with the merging of online-offline transactions with a little bit of the Web3 world that's been all the rage the last couple years. I'd like to hear some of your thoughts, maybe some of the non-shift thoughts on the general market and your take on trends of where you see embedded finance going.
2: Yeah, nothing to do with shift, but if you begin piecing together some of the observations that we've just talked about, David, you see a world where consumer underwriting used to be about, hey, can I get access to the data and find a communication channel to the consumer? And you saw entire companies like Capital One Financial was a massive innovator on that by figuring out how to marry up a zip code name and credit data to do, to build a really innovative direct mail lending machine. The next generation of that is emerging Uh, and it's emerging not just for banks that want to do underwriting, but as we talked about before, that access to customer and access to unique and valuable data for underwriting is increasingly available to a web platform or a mobile app in a commerce setting is a classic example. And the machine learning capabilities that are beginning to exist to be able to simulate that data and be able to do real time underwriting and analytics is increasingly becoming accessible to a wider and wider audience. If you think about all of those factors coming together, and then you begin to imagine a Web3 world where that data is not necessarily proprietary, but is on much more of an open source platform, more easily accessible, as opposed to being in, in a walled garden <laughs> setting, that accessibility expands even more. And so an app, say a, a Taxi Magic, I create a company called Taxi Magic, or you might be more familiar with mm-hmm. an Uber, would have access to an enormous amount of proprietary and then non-proprietary data machine learning, and be able to do that all at scale, such as to be able to fund it. Those are the building blocks and the recipe for being able to do the fundamental underwriting and risk management that you need to, to do lending and to really transform the way we think about financing and buying, paying, and underwriting things. That's a tremendous transformation that I think we're gonna be seeing come along. It's, we've seen the beginnings of it, as we talked about earlier, with walled gardens, like a firm that would do that for you. But I think that what we're gonna see is toolkits that enable companies to build an entire business model around these in a way that analogy, when I did my first startup, we had to set up our own, our entire own server stack and have an entire DevOps capability. And now we can go and just spin up servers in AWS and not have to deal with the actual physical hardware. It's, it comes as a service. I think we're gonna start seeing more of that the service capability in the underwriting and financing space in a way that's going to allow for a whole new uh, business model of the make money on the money, in addition to being able to be a great user experience. I I know that's a a long and winding journey of lots of pieces coming together there, but I think that's going to be pretty transformational for the way we think
1: about consumer finance. I I completely agree because when you look at the data ML and AI space, uh, the 2020s is the decade of data where the modern data stack is being defined, where a lot of these tools are being created, just like you saw with software engineering. First, you started with the hardware, these servers, these physical rack machines, and then you went to compute so you can be able to start breaking down the amount of CPU or GPU or RAM that you needed to process something. But now it's okay, great. You got the hardware, it's on AWS. You got the different compute of that, perfect. And then you have some data now what, right? Now it's time for insights. Now it's time for real-time machine learning. Now it's time for human augmented workflows. And it's really exciting to see that you and your team at a Shift are building on that and you're continuing to think about that, Toby, forward-looking for the whole industry. Um, thinking about everything we talked about today, both the traditional and embedded finance, what's next? Uh, what else would you like to share with our listeners today?
2: I have a bunch of other thinking in the transportation space. that <laughs> <laughs> is completely different in terms of... Uh, self-driving vehicles, electric vehicles, and the, uh, the future of how we're gonna get around and, and how we do that in a sustainable way. But in terms of the embedded finance and the, the way you shop, I, I think mostly what users can expect and, and what, what listeners can expect is to say, hey, I, I think I am gonna be able to expect better. We're gonna see more and more of uh, the your d- like data that you have, and this is the thought there, especially in a Web3 world, being able to take more control of the data that you're describing Uh, David and being able to in a way monetize that data that your data packet and your ability to bring data to a transaction and get better underwriting will improve over time. And I think we're going to see a lot more empowerment of the individual users as opposed to this intensely walled garden structure even as applies to the kind of the finance and underwriting space but we'll delve into the whole transportation and sustainability space mostly on the finance thing that that's the most of it
1: absolutely yeah i think we could dive into infrastructure like what's going on with boring company and pipe dream labs and a lot of the futuristic of movement of mobility and eVaults and so many other really interesting vehicles but that would take us a little bit into the in real life world which hopefully we're going to move back into i think as the world continues to open up we get beyond omicron we move into a world where hey let's be hybrid and let's get back to driving our used cars let's get back to being with each other in person so it's an exciting 2022 it's exciting to to see all the growth that you've had uh, toby with you and your team at shift.com going public today on voice of fintech we featured toby russell the co-CEO and co-founder of Shift.com. Thanks so much for joining us on the show.
2: Thank you, David.
0: Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at voiceofintech.com. Happy to hear from you. Thank you.